Welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor, and Amy is off on holiday this week, so instead I'm going to be joined by Eina, our contributing editor. Hey Eleanor, so cool to be here. At Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector, and we use this podcast to give you a peek inside of how we actually create the stories and bring you the biggest news from the ecosystem. We'll share opinions and also speak to the journalists who are on the ground breaking those stories. So this week, we're going to be hearing about two companies that have raised money in the crypto and Web3 slash metaverse space and ask what this means for two sectors that are going through a fairly big cycle of upheaval at the moment. And we'll hear about one Swedish solar company that's given investors a nice payday. And we're going to be speaking with our Nordics reporter, Mimi Billing, about her superstar sleuthing, uncovering a secret startup from Spotify's founder, Daniel Ek. And our climate reporter, Freya Pratty, will also be here to analyze the possible collapse of UK battery startup, British Volt. So before we get into all of this, there are two pretty huge tech stories this week from outside Europe that will certainly have big reverberations globally. The most dramatic, perhaps, being the news surrounding two crypto giants. So crypto exchange FTX, it seems, is close to going belly up and collapsing. There's been a big outflow of money from the exchange, almost like a bank run. Following this, there was a tentative acquisition floated by its rival and world's biggest exchange, Binance. But now that company is walking away from any bailouts. And Binance's CEO tweeted out a crying emoji on Wednesday in reference to the failed deal. So very dramatic stuff, Eleanor. But can you tell us why this is such a big thing? Yeah, I think it's a big deal just because the size of this collapse. These are obviously two huge companies in the crypto space. And the founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, was seen as a superstar in the industry. And he won investment from the likes of US VC firm Sequoia. And now he was asking investors for $8 billion to save the company. In a letter to investors that Sequoia put out, they also said that they basically marked their investment down to zero on FTX. So it's just pushed crypto prices even further down and has made people even more cautious about touching this market at all, which is a big turnaround from last year when all VC funds really wanted to get involved in this. And I think they will probably be thinking twice about that. And the other really big story of the week was the news that Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook parent, Meta, is laying off 11,000 people. I think we knew that they'd be laying off staff, but the number took everyone by surprise and probably sent a pretty, pretty bad signal to the wider tech world. I think it also suggested that the metaverse that Meta are building and pumping loads of money into is not really going as smoothly as expected, would you say, Eleanor? Yeah, definitely. Like last year, we had all these investors pouring money into the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg has poured tons of money into this after coming out last year, saying that this was going to be one of the pillar strategies of the company going forward. But obviously, even big tech companies are not immune to macroeconomic headwinds and they all also have to do layoffs. So this takes us neatly onto our first European story of the day and a look at a startup that this week announced a $7.5 million raise. This company, probably around six months ago, everyone would have been hyping it as a metaverse building tool. But the founder in an interview that Sifted did with him this week poured some cold water over this whole metaverse thing. So first of all, 
Tell us a little bit about this company called Anything World, Eleanor. Yeah, so London-based startup Anything World is building AI-powered software that lets customers create 3D animations, even if they don't know how to code. So it lets users take a pre-existing static 3D model and then bring it to life. So you could bring, you could make a 3D forest in a virtual world and put some 3D models of animals in there. And then you can actually make those animals in your little world move in a very realistic way. Yeah, he had a nice, there was a nice image of a fox in this story we did. And the fox was running through a forest. Quite cute. But the founder was quite skeptical I would say about the metaverse and this virtual world building that everyone is trying to do at the moment. Yeah. So it was kind of refreshing to hear his perspective on this as well. The co-founder, Sebastian Hoffer, said that a lot of investors were seduced by metaverse hype last year, but that he didn't really have any interest in going towards Web3, which is basically like another approach to building a new internet where things are more decentralized and ownership is decentralized. And a lot of times that involves building things on the blockchain using tools like tokens. And he said that Anything World never wanted to get on that Web3 hype deliberately. Yeah, I think what he was telling us was that 3D animation tools, they're going to have a big application in gaming. They're going to have a big market that just doesn't necessarily needs the metaverse yeah exactly i mean they're working with clients like ubisoft right that develop video games so these are the kind of companies that have existed for 20 30 years already right so they don't have to have the metaverse of the future to be able to deploy the software and their capabilities in addition to gaming studios they're also working with companies like warner music that want to build virtual experiences and applications for users so I thought his quote was really interesting when he said, this is the co-founder Sebastian Hoffer. He said, even if lots of people lost money with their crypto ideas or whatever monkey JPEG they bought, I think we stand aside from this because we just make picks and shovels for creator tools. So another interesting story about a company that raised money this week. This is a London headquartered crypto startup called Ramp, founded by two Polish entrepreneurs, and they raised a seriously large amount of money. Tell us what they do, Elner. Yeah, so cryptocurrency payment startup Ramp, it's got offices in Poland and London, raised 70 million in fresh investment, which is pretty impressive given how difficult the fundraising environment is right now, and also turmoil in the crypto industry too, like we've talked a lot about today. That's also one of the biggest rounds ever for a Polish company period. So pretty impressive for that team. What they do is they help clients like crypto wallets or NFT marketplaces or even gaming companies actually embed crypto payments infrastructure into their systems so that it's super easy for users to use without having to like jump to another app or open up some other wallet or something to be able to to purchase crypto or to purchase crypto assets. And it works with all the world's major payment methods like debit cards, credit cards, bank transfers. Apple Pay, Google Pay. A lot of people talk about how this kind of integration is really important for crypto to be more broadly used in the future because it's making it frictionless. Yeah, I was on the website. It's pretty user-friendly, actually, and does a good job of explaining what crypto is for someone like me who still doesn't know too much about this world. So they seem to be doing something right. Yeah, it said that it generated a 248% increase in transaction volumes compared to last year and increased its users over 600%. They're also one of the rare startups right now that's hiring. Over the last year, its 
7x the number of employees and has more than 200 people today. Thank you, Eleanor. So with crypto experiencing yet another seriously crazy week, it'll certainly be interesting to keep an eye out for, for these guys. And so on to our last news story before we talk to our colleagues about their features. We're going to Sweden to look at a solar company called Alight, which earned its investors a big payout this week. Tell us about this, Eleanor. Alight is a Swedish company that was founded in 2013, and it offers solar as a service to the commercial sector. It builds solar panel systems for commercial and industrial customers, and then those solar panels can feed power to the customers. So it could work with big industrial clients that need a lot of power. And right now, it's a pretty attractive business, given that the hike in gas prices and carbon pricing is actually making solar energy, which was previously seen as pretty expensive, look more competitive right now. And the story this week was that Alight had agreed to a buyout. The deal also included $150 million in fresh cash for Alight, which also let um, some early investors cash out as well and make some profits, realize some profits. So what does it mean now for the company going forward? The founders are going to stay with the company, I guess, and continue to do their thing? Yeah, so there's two of the three founders originally are still in the business. They still sit on the board and they still are there operationally active. And basically, it's the new cash and the new investment will help Alight even scale up what it wants to do even further. So its first target was producing one gigawatt of solar assets by 2025. And now it's up to that to a goal of five gigawatts of solar projects delivered across Europe by 2030. Thank you very much, Eleanor. I wish I had solar panels on my roof. That'd be quite nice now. Now we're off to Stockholm to speak to our Nordics correspondent, Mimi Billing. This week, she had the scoop that the founder of Spotify, Daniel Ek, had been working on a secretive new healthcare startup. Mimi, how did you find out about this? And tell me more about this new startup. Well, I can I can start off with saying that this startup has been like the most spoken about secret in the last maybe two years in tech media in Sweden. And uh, no one has been w- knowing really what they've been working on. We knew from the beginning that Daniel Ek has invested about six million euros into it over the last three years. But we didn't really know what they were doing. So by chance, I happened to Google around for primary care facilities. And I found this primary care facility that was open for appointments, which is really rare in Stockholm because usually you have to wait for about two weeks to a month to actually get an appointment at a primary care unit. So I then scrolled down to look at, you know, who's actually running this. And then I could see that the CEO was Jalmar Nilsonne. Well, he's actually the CEO of this startup that he has started together with Daniel Ek. So that's how I kind of got the pieces together that it's not just a health tech startup with like digital something, but it's also a primary care unit. And then I started looking into what they actually do. So that's like the basic. So tell us about your visit to this primary care clinic and what did you discover there? Yeah, so I did go and uh, I walked inside and took some photos and it was kind of, uh, it had opened for like, I think four weeks ago at the time and it was still like a building site. So it was some, some carpenters working away, some kind of furniture was, were not really like unpacked yet and some boxes like pushed to the wall 
a few plants and, and stuff like that. So I was walking around at this primary care clinic and I saw this piece of furniture, which was like a semi circular arc like feature which was waiting to be unpacked which was actually in the lobby and at the time I still didn't really know what they were doing so I was like well okay I'll take some photos and we'll see what this is and later on by talking to different people at the Stockholm ecosystem I did find out that what they are working on is some kind of diagnostics device like a large one which can be compared to an airport security scanner you know the one when you have your hands up and you know <laughs> you walk through it and that is what they well what my sources are saying that they have been working on to do this kind of diagnostics device that can actually both work to find you know, diseases, etc., for preventative care, but also to do a checkup of like uh, maybe heart health, but also to work on precision medicine for their patients. And through their website, they have gone into exactly what they want to do with like different programs. So they want to have volunteers to sign up to test this device and test these different programs that they have in collaboration with with other science companies. So you found that out from sources, but they also had a website, didn't they, Mimi? Yeah, so that was the kind of the primary care unit's website or primary care clinic's website. So at the website, they had a specific sites talking about these different programs that they were going to run uh, because they were looking into the future of health. And when I actually did contact the company, a day later, they had closed those sites down not the primary care units website as a whole but those ones that actually described exactly what they want to do within these programs so why do you think that Ak is doing this and why is he being so secretive about this mimi well i mean for swedish media we we kind of know donnelly to be very secretive uh, <laughs> i mean for the first maybe i don't know how many years when he was uh, when i founded spotify he didn't really talk to media at all and even later, he, I would say that he probably doesn't have the best kind of relationship with Swedish media. And uh, so this doesn't surprise me at all that it's been secretive. Makes sense. And I guess another interesting thing about this, and you know this very well because you're our you know, health tech reporter as well as covering the Nordics, is this whole topic of preventative care and preventative medicine is something that so many people are interested in right now. And actually, you cited that super cool article that said that Daniel Ek even a decade ago was was interested in, in how he could fix healthcare systems. Tell me a little bit about that preventive medicine side of things and, and why are people so excited about that? Well, I think it's I think it's because the whole kind of I mean this sounds so old, but the digital era has kind of changed how we look on on ourselves and there's now so many wearables where we can actually we can check our blood pressure, we can check our heart rate, you know, variations. And we can, I mean, we can do all these checks and see how many steps we take in a day. Or, I mean, it's just, it's so much information that we have readily available. And all of a sudden then we want to, people, individuals want to be more in control of their kind of health journey. So, I mean, we do know that the whole healthcare system is kind of failing right now because we, it's not really accessible in most places. And also that people who are struggling with diseases, etc., do not maybe get the help at the time that they want it and need it. So this kind of preventative health 
method or just trying to work towards preventative health is going to save governments, countries, healthcare systems so much money if you can actually get those diseases before they actually do harm on your body, like diabetes, like any kind of disease that is cancer, for example, as well. Like it's obviously much better if you find it earlier than rather than later. And if you could in some way see it before it even broke out, that would be even better, right? So I think that's the kind of those two mixed together, the individuals want to take control of their kind of health and the kind of savings that the healthcare system could actually do by going preventative. Uh, that's the kind of the things that are driving this. Thank you so much, Mimi. Great reporting. I really loved reading the piece and it's had an incredible impact. So looking forward to the update to it. Thank you. And finally, we're joined by Freya Pratti. She's Sifted's climate tech reporter, and she's been looking into what's going on at British Folds, the UK battery startup that looks like it could collapse if it doesn't find investors soon. So Freya, firstly, tell us what British Fold does and why it was seen as such an exciting prospect at one point. So British Volt is a company that's building a gigafactory, a large scale factory to build batteries in the northeast of England in a place called Blythe. They started work a couple of years ago and they're building a factory which should hopefully, if, if all goes well, supply the UK with batteries for electric vehicles. All countries are trying to kind of shore up their supply of batteries for both vehicles and energy storage. And British Vault is like the UK's big hope for, for being able to do that. And so what's what's going wrong at the moment? So building a gigafactory is like a massively capital intensive task. British Vault have said they need 3.8 billion. And essentially what it looks like is they just haven't been able to get the money together or there's there's a gap in in the money at the moment. So they've raised 200 million from private private markets from private companies and then the government had promised them 100 million and that hasn't yet been delivered because they haven't reached certain milestones and now they 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 said it last week that they're just like desperately in need of some money so i think it's it's a money problem it's a massively expensive thing to build and they just haven't been able to raise enough in time for the stages they need to get to so this week you wrote this brilliant piece comparing british vault to a battery startup that's doing quite a bit better, uh, the Swedish Nordfolds. So what's going on with Nordfold? How have they been able to make a success out of batteries? Yeah, Nordfold are at a completely different stage. So they've they've already got one gigafactory that's up and running. They're building three more. They've raised like over $8 billion. It's a completely different story. Um, there are many reasons, I think. So the piece I wrote was looking at the expertise of the founding teams is very different. Northvolt's founders came from Tesla, where they'd worked with Elon Musk, and they'd worked on the battery supply chain for Tesla. So it's really direct useful experience. British Vault's founders had come from, one was a corporate bond seller. It was kind of more financial background, so less battery expertise in the founding team, which a lot of people have talked about. And the other thing is just like Sweden is a perhaps a better market to be doing this. A gigafactory is massively energy intensive and electricity, particularly in the north of Sweden, is, is really cheap. Uh, that's something British Vault themselves have said is is hurting them, the energy prices in the UK. So it's probably a mixture of the expertise there and the country they're building in. 
and also perhaps the support they can look to from their respective governments. Northvolt's been able to use funding from Germany and other European countries, whereas that would probably be harder for a British company at the moment. And you've actually been up to Blyde's. I think you went there in May and you spoke to locals and they were pretty excited about about this uh, factory. Yeah, Blythe is an interesting place. There's quite a lot of unemployment in Blythe. um, And everyone I talked to spoke about there used to be a big coal-powered plant there that employed a lot of people. That then closed in the early 2000s. And there's been like projects coming ever since promising that they will bring jobs back to this area where there's a huge need for jobs. And they've never really worked out. There was like another power plant. There was an, another factory that came promising jobs and they never worked out. So when British Vault arrived, everyone seemed really, really excited. When I was there in May, yeah, there were a lot of people saying like, this is it. We've been let down loads of times, but now British Vault are here and 3,000 jobs were promised, which is a huge amount. So yeah, a huge excitement that perhaps won't pan out. Yeah. What do you see happening now? Is, is there any hope for British Vault? So they managed to secure 30 million in investment. There's rumours that that's from Glencore, the mining company, but they haven't confirmed it themselves. And then they're asking the government to release the funding early to try and kind of tide them over. They've said they need 200 million to get through this stage. But I guess we have to wait and see. We just need to yeah, see if they can, can raise the money to get over this little hurdle. Okay, it sounds like that's a fairly chunky amount of money they still need to raise but i would urge everyone to read freya's great piece on sifted and thank you freya thanks for joining us thanks if you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of european tech and startups you can find our coverage on sifted.eu and you can find all of the articles that we talked about in today's episode in the podcast description We have a ton of great newsletters, so please subscribe to them. We also have weekly briefings on different tech sectors. We have monthly reports on psychedelics and their possible impacts on mental health. Yeah, and you can follow us on Twitter or uh, follow our newsletters also on sifted.eu. Yeah, let us know what you think of the podcast. And thank you again to Aina for joining us this week. Thank you for having me.